to the DNet Stumps podcast, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to your undiscovered treasure trove of cricket. My name is Dean Duplessis and this is the DNet Stumps podcast. And I tell you what, if you haven't subscribed yet, you missed out on a whole bunch of really good interviews. But the nice thing is, if you do subscribe, well, then you're able to listen to them. We have the likes of Dean Jones, H.D. Ackerman, Sean Pollock, and a rather unique situation of Alan and Mark Butcher, father and son, being interviewed at the same time. So uh, a great deal for you to listen to as well. We have the likes of Andy Flower, David Gower, Michael Holding, Tommy Mbangwa, and more. Hello once again and a very warm welcome to you wherever you may be. I hope you're staying safe. I know it's incredibly frustrating because a lot of us have a lot of things that we need to get done and it's not happening. But you know what? There's not a great deal we can do about it. So just try and sit tight and try and adhere to the regulations that have been sent your way and eventually it will come to pass. Right now, the man who you're going to be hearing from today is somebody who certainly got his test career off to an incredible start. Do you remember the match-winning unbeaten half-century in the second innings of the first test match at the Wacker in Perth back in 2008 that secured South Africa an incredible win chasing down 414? He then scored a magnificent 166 in the first innings of the second test match of South Africa and was involved in a very big partnership with Dale Stain, which ensured that South Africa sealed the series to uh, win that test series by two test matches to one back in 2008-2009. I'm of course referring to JP Dumini, Jean-Paul Dumini, but of course everybody knows him as JP. And um, I was able to catch up with JP at his house in Cape Town after a hectic day of meetings, but he was still kind enough to give me a very, very nice interview indeed. And he started off by first of all, talking about what he feels the new type of norm will be. Yeah, the the interesting thing about your question is, you know, what what is norm going to be for all of us going forward? And I think we're all trying to define what that's going to be like for us. And, uh, you know, it's uncertain times. And, And, you know, in terms of the things that I've done, uh, particularly in the last couple of weeks, has been one where I'm I'm purely focused on just trying to invest time and effort into relationships with my family. And you know, if I think back to my 20 year career, uh, the things that you miss in those 20 years is things like uh, your day to day relationships. Um, you know, with your your parents, your your siblings. Uh, I've got a young family, married for close to nine years now. But you know, uh, two kids, four and one years old. So it's it's great opportunities, really, just to invest in in relationships and and forming those sacred bonds. Um, you know, that's part of the sacrifice, I guess, that most sportsmen make, particularly those that travel quite a bit. You you miss out on on those uh, unique moments with um, with your family. So I've been I've been pretty fortunate to have my extended family stay with me through the lockdown. Uh, my mom, my brother, my sister. 
my brother-in-law and my nephew. So, so we've spent some great, great moments together. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's uncertain. Um, and I think it's, it's brought a lot of anxiety and doubt and fear into people's hearts and minds. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got to just take it one day at a time and, and, you know, fall in line in terms of what we can control in terms of the regular conditions and, and hopefully we'll, we'll come out stronger. And I, I guess, JP, one thing, you know, that, that is very fortunate for us is that so many people have lost loved ones due to this pandemic. But here you are speaking of having your, not only your immediate family, but your extended family, which is a true blessing, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, I was, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today and we were talking about how there are opportunities to look at the positive sides of, of, of what this pandemic has brought us. And the difficulty with that is, you know, we are all affected by it in different ways. Uh, you know, if you're on the sort of poverty line, I can only imagine how difficult it must be. And, and particularly in, in South Africa and in, in Zimbabwe, I'm sure as well, you know, there are so many people suffering and, uh, and heavily affected. Uh, but yes, there, there are opportunities to, to look at it positively. And just on a holistic view as well, we've, we've had opportunities to really reflect on our lives and identify what is really and truly important. And for me, as I've mentioned there, you know, uh, appreciating family and, and quality time with family. Uh, we know we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So it's about appreciating the now, um, taking advantage of the now. Uh, but in that also saying that, you know, we, we need to try and be there for one another. Uh, this is a definitely a time where we are called to come together and help each other in our time of need. And, and hopefully, and I'm pretty sure from a South African and just an African point of view, you know, we really need to stick out our hands and, and, and offer a helping hand to, to those less fortunate. Yeah, absolutely right, JP. A question you've been asked many times, but I'm going to ask you again. Do you miss your, your international career? Uh, the, the easy answer is no. Uh, there are certain parts of it that I miss, and one in particular is the change room environment and just the, the relationships that you form and, and, and friendships that will probably carry till the end of end of your days. Um, those are the things that I miss, and I don't necessarily miss the travel too much. You know, having had an opportunity for 20 years, there's a lot of time away from home. So now it's about capitalizing on the moments you have now with your loved ones. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't necessarily miss the cricket too much. Um, you know, my hope and ambitions are to still be involved in the game. To what capacity, I'm not sure just yet. And still trying to work that out. The, the transition of playing into not playing is quite an interesting one and, and quite a challenging one on a whole because you, you know, you have this, this uh, environment that you're operating in that's elite that's constantly driving you to to look to get better at whatever you're busy with. And, um, you know, and all of a sudden you're in this, in, afterwards you're in this environment where you don't necessarily have something immediate to do that is feeling like it's bigger than you. You know, representing South Africa has always meant the world to me and that feeling and appreciation of representing 50, 60 million people it's a huge responsibility, but also something I'll never, never want to change because there was a huge privilege in that. But how do you find that purpose and, and 
that vision, you know, post playing. And yes, I have a foundation which kind of supplements that to a degree. But that uh, adrenaline rush that you get playing, you know, that's something that probably you won't experience too often. Uh, but yes, it's about, you know, for me now, it's about serving people, about serving your community, but also in that driving, uh, sorry, uh, fulfilling your passions and, and, and trying to replace that hunger with something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And JP, who or what inspired you to want to become a re- representative of your country? I think initially, um, it's quite an interesting story where, uh, you know, something that I think a lot of players uh, find challenging and, and no different to me is that you have this, this sort of fear around whether you're good enough. And I was, I, I definitely fell into that uh, performance trap of feeling like I wasn't good enough. But my dad was someone that really, at a young age, already, I think nine or 10 years old, he was telling people that I was going to play for South Africa. And I, and I think for me to really, uh, for that to hit home for myself, only really came through when I, when I was about 17 years old and I got my first provincial contract. And then I kind of, it kind of sunk in that, hey, maybe there is something here. Um, but my dad was somebody that believed in me from a young age already. And it doesn't only stop there. I mean, I had so many different coaches and family and friends that believed in me, particularly in those days where, you kind of sold yourself short in many ways and you didn't believe and you had doubts and you had fears, you know, you relied on your support structure to get you through. And, and, and there's no different when you're even at the elite level and you're going through tough times. And these are the moments where you really rely on those that speak life into you and speak life into your situations and encourage you to keep going and, and persevere and that resilience comes through. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just very grateful for that, uh, that group of people that have been around me. I mean, I remember listening slash watching TV and, and hearing you perform consistently for the Cobras and mm. you then making your debut, um, your one day international debut that is against Sri Lanka in 2004 in Sri Lanka, probably one of the toughest places to make your one day debut. But I remember thinking to myself, let me tell you something. This guy is going to do something very, very special. It may not be now. It's going to be in a couple of years' time. But mark my words and mark them well. John Paul Dumini is going to do something special. And it didn't, the special that I was thinking of didn't actually happen in the one-day arena. It didn't happen in the T20 arena. It happened in the test arena, the, the, the elite that you've already alluded to. And that, of course, was that very infamous test match in 2008 going into 2009 in Perth. I'd like you to please just lead us up to that test match because if I'm not mistaken, you, um, well, Ashwell Prince had been hit on the hand by a nasty delivery by Makai and Tini in the infamous <coughs> Perth Nets. And the next thing, there's JP Dumini making his test debut. Lead us up to all of that. <laughs> yeah, I've obviously uh, shared the story many times and, and it's quite a unique one in many ways because... Um, I, I, I've been traveling with the test side in particular for about over a year, uh, carrying drinks and, you know, paying my dues, as they would say. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I was enjoying the experience because I was a young cricketer, 23, 24 years old, learning my, learning my trade and, and learning from some of the best uh, the game has seen. And here we are on an Australian tour 
and uh, you know it was it was a, a tour that I guess we were all had our fears and doubts about because you know it was something that we've never accomplished before. But in saying that, also there was this quiet confidence sort of luring in the in in the team environment because we, we had really established a a really solid test side in that year itself. Earlier that year, we beat uh, England in England. And we did that quite convincingly as well uh, on, on the test on the test arena. And um, here we are now going to Australia for middle test side that has dominated cricket for ten to fifteen years, some of the greats of the game. And as you mentioned there, you know we had a we had a practice uh, as you do a day before a test match. And how it works is you, you kind of have an idea of who's going to be playing already, so you're having conversations with. The coaching staff and and you kind of take a back seat in terms of your preparation and what I mean by that is you're not first in line necessarily to go into the nets you you kind of you know you fill in at the back end uh, so that you can service the guys that are going to be playing the next day right and I remember fondly we um, I was catching balls for Paul Harris in the middle he was bowling to uh, to some cones and and I was catching the ball and I remember Mickey Arthur running from the nets at Perth. Which is on the side of the field, and he came running across, uh, telling me to, that I need to get into the nets. Um, he was probably in a bit of a panic, to be honest, <laughs> um, because you know Ashwell was 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 really on top form at that point in time in his in his career, and uh, he had told me I need to get into the net. Ashwell just got hit on the thumb, and it's not looking good. And man, I can you can only imagine the you know the 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 sort of anxiety and 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 adrenaline that that went through my body at that point in time and you know I went through my paces uh, in terms of my my practice and preparation and uh, yeah it was it was one of those nights where it was a sleepless night on and off um but something significant happened that morning of uh, the day the morning of day one six o'clock that morning I got a a, a message from Ashwell just to tell me that listen it's not looking too good and there's every chance that I'll be playing today. So he just wanted to wish me well and uh, know that I'm prepared, know that I'm good enough to be there. So just go out and, and enjoy the moment. And and the thing about myself and Ashwell at that point in time, we he very much took me out of, under his wing at Western Province. I was a youngster coming in. He was in the prime of his career. And he took me, we ended up playing for the same cricket club and he took me under his wing in terms of my, my development within the, the provincial setup. So we had that relationship already. And he then just messaged me, as I said, and, and that was that. And it was only till an hour before the start of play that I actually got told because they went through all the, the measures to try and get him ready to see if he can play. So he had a, a cortisone injection in his thumb. Mm. He then had needed to get that to settle down in the morning and then go into the nets and, and try and bat. And then eventually... You know, the coach came to me and said, "Listen, you, you're in." So it was quite a quite a daunting experience that first, you know, three hours of the of the morning, because uh, it was kind of in limbo. I wasn't sure is it going to happen? Is it isn't it going to happen? And it's probably a blessing in disguise because yes, there were doubts and fears, but also because I didn't know exactly, it kind of allowed myself not to go too deeply into to thinking too far ahead. And uh, yeah, the experience in itself was quite a big one. Um, you know, the first innings didn't really go according to plan, but as a team, we really fought back in that fourth innings. And 
you know, fortunately I had a, a, a big part to play in, in the final run chase there, scoring a, a mammoth 414 to, to win that test match. And, and that's definitely a, a moment in my career that will stand out for, for, for many years to come. When did you as a team, or, uh, tell us about the thought processes. Were there any thought processes? Because as you say, 414 was very unlikely. And it's not because the team wasn't good enough. It's just, mm. it's just the way that test cricket is. And you know, it's very unlikely that you'll see a team chase down that total in the fourth inning. So yeah. did the thought processes begin to change from we can save this test match to we can actually win this test match? Yeah, definitely. So I think in the onset of, of tackling that fourth innings, there was still two, uh, just under two days, if I'm not mistaken, left. So we knew it was never going to be a drawing scenario. We were either going to win or we were going we to lose. And, and I think that gave us a great platform to really uh, put our pig in the ground to say, you know what, we're going to try and win this game. And, you know, the basics applied, no doubt. So we needed to set a good foundation, build partnerships, take our time. There was enough time in the test match to, to score 400 runs. So we didn't need to accelerate or, or play a, a different way. Everybody needed to play their part. And, and at that point in that year, we, we were speaking heavily into process. Right. And what are, the, what are those nitty-gritty processes for each and every individual and each one had their own sort of criteria for that. And it was just about following that. And we didn't, we tried our utmost not to think too far ahead. I think at the end of day four, we were maybe just over 200 runs to go still. And we might have been three down. And the game was set up and the game was still in the balance because we know on day five, a lot can happen. But fortunately, the pitch was still very good for batting. So, you know, things were, were stacking up well for us. And we, we had, uh, you know, quite a, a stiff opposition in terms of their bowling. Brett Lee, um, Mitchell Johnson, you know, two of Australia's lead, lead seamers at that point in time. But we, we had the arsenal to, to go all the way. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we were quite an established test unit. You know, I was the only real new guy in the side. But up until that point, guys were, were pretty confident within their own games. They were pretty confident in who they were in, within the team. They knew their roles. So I was the new one. Uh, and, and my sort of attitude was, well, you know what? I, I'm probably going to miss out in the next test anyway because Ashwell possibly will come back in. Right. So I'm just going to go out there and have a bit of fun and, and give my best. And uh, that, was, that kind of freed me up somewhat to just play my natural game. And unfortunately, that that put us in a in a good position. It uh, put you in an excellent position. And, and <laughs> as you as you were approaching a total, was AB who obviously scored that brilliant hundred and got the man of the match? But was AB chatting to you and just saying, just continue to play a natural game? Uh, you know, what what were, what were the conversations the two of you were having, if any at all? Yeah, fortunately, we we uh, had played cricket together for uh, for a number of years, so we knew each other pretty well. We knew each other's games pretty well. We knew how to encourage one another, to motivate one another, particularly under pressure. And, uh, you know, he was definitely the lead in that, in that role. And I was happy to play second fiddle. You know, AB has this amazing ability to change gears in any format. Even at a young age of 24, he was already established in test cricket. And, you know, at that point in time, he was dominating already. And I just necessarily needed to build that partnership. I came in with 100 runs to get. So, yeah, break that down. If I can contribute half of that, which fortunately I did, 
you know, we'll give ourselves a, a great chance. And for me, it was, was just trying to stay in that moment and not getting overwhelmed too much about the fact that you're playing against Australia, you're playing in Perth, it's a day five of a test match, you're playing in some of the best players in the world. Just literally build a partnership here and see where we get. And, you know, when we, when we got to that 50-run mark to go, I think we kind of knew it deep down, right? We, we, we're going to get this. And you could see the heads drop of the Australians, and we just needed to drive it home. And then on to the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground we go, one of the iconic stadiums where you can very easily be intimidated by the sheer size of the stadium. I remember a West Indian actually once saying that uh, there's more people in this ground than what there is on my entire island. (laughs) And suddenly, (laughs) absolutely, you're up against it now completely. So you're playing in your second test match, you're fresh, you're still recovering from the hangover, so to speak, of scoring a, a very, very crucial half century, which now gave you a 1-0 lead. But now you're in a different scenario altogether. You don't have a senior batsman with you. You've got Dale Stain, who's, yes, a senior player, but he's a tail-ender. So how did you and Dale Stain go about resurrecting, not only resurrecting that innings of South Africa, but putting them in a position which ultimately won them, you the test match? Yeah, I think we we, we certainly, if I, if I think back to it, we we almost overachieved in, in many ways. I think where, where we, the conversation particularly that we had after day two, uh, I think we might have been five or six down already. And we, I remember Mickey Arthur having this conversation with the team and saying, guys, yes, we're up against it, but let's see if we can get somewhere close to their total. And even if it's 100 runs behind, we are still in this game. Yeah. And, and, and that, that kind of set us a target where it wasn't too far ahead of us. So we just needed to try and get to within 80 to 100 runs, and we are still in this game. And lo and behold, I mean, we, we, we kind of went about our way, and, and things just kind of fell into place. I, I think from a, from a Dale Stain perspective, he, he outdone himself by, by many moons. I mean, you know, for him to do something like that was, was certainly extraordinary. And uh, again, for my for myself, it was more just process driven. Process driven. That that kind of concept was so drilled into us that we just tried to stay in that moment. I remember having an interview after that innings, and that was exactly what I said. The the word process and understanding what that meant really was something that that drove us. And we just continuously, um, you know, encouraged one another and and so forth. But. We also had some some things go our way in that innings. Uh, I remember Brett Lee uh, broke down, um, so they were one of their key bowlers short, and and that put a lot of pressure on them from a bowling unit point of view, where you had guys like Mike Hussey having to to fill in with overs, uh, because as you as you know traditionally, Australia always went with a four prong bowling attack. Yes. And um, you know in this case now they were one short, so that obviously worked in our favour. Uh, and and we sort of maximize that to the best of our abilities. But yeah, we we definitely surprised ourselves in many way. Um, but but what probably the highlight of of that day for me was yes, scoring the one sixty six. But coming off after we had finished our innings, the entire team stood in the tunnel with their bats, sort of making an arch. Oh wow! And and sort of saluting the effort that we had put in, and particularly myself and. You know, being the youngster in the team at that point in time really just 
uh, soaking up the fact that the, all these players were really appreciating the effort and and uh, the selflessness out in, on the field really meant the world to me. And and that just bear testament to the culture that we had created. And um, yeah, just the leadership in, in that moment was, was, was pretty awesome. It, it certainly seemed like it was one of the better team, you know, camaraderie that you just mentioned. Uh, I know Graham Smith also speaking very fondly of that. And, and I mean, suddenly here you were with players who you would have played with at provincial level, being, you know, Graham Smith, Jacques Callison. And, and as a youngster, you would have watched Jacques Callison on TV. And yep. suddenly here's this icon, this hero, holding up his bat, uh, part of the archway to congratulate you. It must have been very overwhelming for you. No, it was one of those priceless moments, and um, yeah, it's it's you got to give credit to to the leadership at the time where they really put their blood, sweat, and tears into creating a sustainable culture and putting so much effort into the soft skills of the team and and driving a certain cause that is beyond you. And that was something that the leadership drove hard. And, and, you know, for me as a youngster coming in and being appreciated, not only for the performance, but being appreciated for just being a player and representing your country was, was truly special. And, um, you know, that, that is what, you know, particularly in the last decade, what we've tried to do as a general generational shift happens is trying to carry on that legacy. And hopefully, you know, now that we've come, and have bowed out that that uh, legacy and culture will continue. Yes, there will be opportunities and moments for for certain tweaks um, because you you can't necessarily live in the past. Everybody brings a different flavor to the environment and and to the team. Uh, so hopefully, you know those kind of legacies carry on for a long a long period of time. JP, I'm going to ask you a very strange question, and uh, I sincerely hope you don't take offence to it. But do you do you sometimes wish that your career, perhaps maybe, got off to a quieter start and then developed? <laughs> because what you did in those first two matches was bordering on superhuman. I understand there are batsmen who have, you know, in their in consecutive Test matches scored consecutive hundreds, but both times that you achieved what you did were under what could have been extreme pressure helping A.B. de Villiers secure the win in the first test match to go 1-0 up and then playing a very big and significant part in securing the test series in that partnership Mm. with Dale Stain. So yes, you may not have got 200s, but what you did was more than likely the equivalent of scoring back-to-back 100s. And and then Mm. unfortunately it... You know, it did taper off a little bit as your career progressed, which was incredibly sad. So do you maybe wish that if you could have had your career over again, that it could have been a quieter start, which then built into something a bit more substantial? No, I, I honestly don't. And um, I, I I probably get asked this question a lot. Do I feel like I underperformed uh, or didn't live up to my potential you know that that's an interesting question, and um, and and certainly I don't by no means find offence to it. Um, I have been extremely blessed and hugely a huge privilege in in representing my country. I think it's been about three hundred and twenty six games across all formats. Mm-hmm. And if you had to ask me as a youngster, you know, would you have taken that? I think I would have grabbed that with with both hands. And irrespective of the experience of the highs and lows, it is. It is those moments that shape you as a person and as a cricketer. And it's those moments that 
that you live through and experiences that you then look back at and you think, wow, man, what, what an amazing journey it's been. And the hope now is to share that journey, to share those, those vulnerable moments, to share those insecurities, to share their victories, the experiences, the positive vibes about those experiences with the next generation. And hopefully those, those stories and experiences influence them in a positive way to, uh, to bring out the best in them. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. I, I wouldn't have changed it for, for anything. Um, you know, the, the victories and the, the, the impacts of, of certain games, I, I, I think about particularly that tour as we've spoken about now, Australia, England 2012, Sri Lanka 2014, World Cup 2015, 2016. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. And it's not it's not about just the centuries or or the the wickets that are taken. It is about living in those amazing moments with your teammates and achieving something so so special that hasn't been achieved yet, uh, you know, in any South African side. And my hope is that we do crush, uh, you know, certain things that we've done in the past, um, create new records and and break boundaries in terms of uh, you know future teams. Go on to win World Cups. That is that is honestly the hope. Um, you know, it's not about just um, having your name in record books. It is about living those amazing moments that that one has, and you know, holding on and cherishing those moments for for a lifetime. And most importantly, I think the friendships that you form, you know, as you as you go into battle with with your teammates and. You know the ups and downs that you experience together. You know there's some dark days in those moments, and you really have to come together when you're in a a place like India, and you don't know where your next run is coming from. Can you be there for your for your teammate, for your friend? And and you know years down the line, you will look back and you think, wow, man, do you remember how hard it was there? And you can have a, a beer and laugh about it, and and just relive those moments. Those are experiences of a lifetime, and I think. The beauty of that is there are so many people uh, that that play this beautiful game that will give anything for those experiences, and I've I've just had a huge privilege to to share them. You speak of friendships, which is such an important part of of life, let alone sport. Um, you obviously would have uh, things then started happening very quickly for you after the the success that you had not only as a team but individually in Australia. So you came back mm. to South Africa. Unfortunately, then from a South African perspective, uh, the series was lost in South Africa, which was rather bizarre. I think everybody thought yeah. that you know South Africa were going to win that series in South Africa as well, and, and it went completely the other way. Mitchell Johnson was just virtually unplayable. But I, I want to focus now on your T20 career because that too had some incredibly special moments for you as well. So now suddenly you've been picked up by the Mumbai Indians. That was the first team you played for. Is that is that's correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So so suddenly things started happening for you very quickly. All of a sudden massive amounts of money had been spoken about and you as a young man had to adapt very quickly because it, it was about, you know, consistently performing, understanding mm. that there were huge, huge amounts of, of of you know millions of dollars being spoken about in a very short space of time. Did that did that sometimes catch up with you and did you succumb to any pressure or was it once again just the, that wonderful attitude that you seem to have living in the moment and, and just making the most of it or were there pressure times? No, there were certainly pressure moments. Uh, you know, I, 
I can't call myself that I've had it all together, you know, throughout my career. There be there were there were many moments where I I, I wasn't sure which way to turn. Um, you know, there there were moments of of deep challenges in anxiety of depression, uh, and, and fortunately, uh, as I've mentioned before, there there were a great team around me, a great group of people around me that that really could just help me through that process. And, uh, you know, there were, there were moments where, where you kind of dive a little bit into alcohol because you, you're trying to deal with the pressure. And it's not actually only the pressure from from spectators, from um, the responsibility of playing for your country. It's also your own expectation. As you mentioned there earlier about, um, you know, the, the, the amazing start I had to my international career and then for myself, trying to maintain that for a long period of time, which I didn't end up doing, but I put immense amount of pressure on myself and I needed a coping mechanism. So how, how was I going to do that? And yeah, it was a tough journey, um, you know, navigating my way through that. But as I said, there were, there were some great people around me um, that kind of stabilized it for me. Um, and then kind of just walking this journey of, of playing international cricket and investing into the team, investing into my team, teammates and, and finding my way in international cricket. And, and I think the, the opportunity of, of experiencing different teams at such a young age really helped um, playing for different environments, uh, learning different cultures, having conversations with different players across different countries really helped the process. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just extremely grateful, as I said. So, how do you how do you rekindle, or how do you maintain not rekindle, but how do you maintain your your love of of the game and and camaraderie and team spirit when you play for as many T Twenty sides as you did? There was a Mumbai. Indians, the Deccan Chargers, Delhi Capitals, uh, you know, your South African franchise that you would have played for the Cobras and maybe seven or eight different T20 sides. How, yeah. how difficult or how easy is it to maintain the love of winning? Because, because, I mean, obviously it's very special to win games for your country. But if it may be like so many of the county, the English county players do, you know, stick to playing for one county for 10 or 15 years, you, you really get to appreciate what happens. Is there a form of appreciation when you play for as many teams as you did? Yeah, and it's something that I probably worked out for myself in the last five, six years of my career was identifying the fact that the way you contribute in those teams is not only on the field. Mm. The, 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 the added bonus that you have is an opportunity to really invest into uh, the culture of the environment you're playing for. So I'm talking about playing in the Caribbean, understanding the Caribbean culture and how they operate, Indian culture, Pakistan culture, South African culture understanding the roots and, and where it all comes from and, and kind of diving in and, and forming part of that and, and really investing time into getting to know players from different countries and putting yourself out there. And, and really, I mean, like I said, you walk away now, uh, particularly through these various tournaments, that you have friendships that will last for a lifetime with players that you have played against for so many years. And that for me in itself is, is a magnificent thing 
but it really needed to take for myself to step out of my comfort zone and to realize that I'm doing this, that I'm playing for a different team, not just for the paycheck, but I need to invest into the team itself. And, and I think that gave me a, a greater purpose as I had one for South Africa. Mm. That gave me a greater purpose in, in not just achieving on the field, but achieving off the field as well. So we are pretty much going to be wrapping it up, but I want to get the ball rolling with a couple of uh, the, I suppose, the lighter points. Although this wouldn't, you wouldn't perceive this to be one of your your the lighter sides of your highlights. Some of the the personal achievements. I want to talk to you about a game that you played in uh, for Cape Cobras, and uh, you had the, the 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 good fortune of being able to hit Paul Legspinner Eddie Lee for six consecutive sixes. Actually, there were more because I think you bowled a no ball somewhere in the mix as well. Um, yeah. So you became the first South African batsman to hit six consecutive sixes in List A cricket. I want you to talk us through that. When did you begin to? sort of realize that hey hang on i can actually make it six in six you know herschel gibbs spoke about when he got to the third one that he realized yeah. hang on i'm in with a chance here i can do something special so hirsch was a bit of a a natural freak and you yeah. had glimpses of sheer genius and brilliance as well jp so when did you realize i can actually do this so firstly i must say that there's a technical uh, thing there that's not true. So it actually was. It did. It, it was a thirty-seven run over, correct? Right. Yes. But it wasn't. It wasn't six sixes. It was actually five, and um, I think it was a. Uh, then it was a boundary, and two because he bowled a no ball as well. Right. So that made it thirty-seven in the end. So it actually ended up being five sixes. But but to, to carry on to that story, um, after about three, because we had, we had. Uh, at, at that point in time, um, we had identified right yes an opportunity to win the game with a bonus point, so we needed to try and capitalize. And I've always fancied myself against leg spinners uh, or left arm spinners, so here was an opportunity for me to try and capitalize. And you know, after three, I thought, well, let's just keep going. <laughs> I'm on a roll already. Then four happened, and then five happened, and I thought, wow, yes, yes, something now. But then the sixth one went for four. And then he bowled a no ball as well, and that's the the no ball was where I got two runs. Ah, oh, right, yes. So that's okay. that's unfortunately how it ended up being thirty seven. <laughs> but I'll 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 definitely take your story of, 30, of six sixes. <laughs> There's actually I'm not entirely sure where, but there is actually a story on a website that claims that you actually hit six sixes. So uh, that that yeah. that's how it came together. But so what what are the real highlights other than the the performances in Australia? Uh, and I would like you to to speak of the. I mean, you've you've spoken at length about the team spirit and camaraderie, which is so important because that that assists you to do what you do as an individual. But yeah, mm. I just feel you're not giving yourself enough credit, and we would very much like you to to just explain a bit more some of the personal achievements that you really you know can look back and say, "Wow, that was special." Other than, of course, representing South Africa. Mm. So two, yeah, thanks for that. So two things come to mind. Um, as much as I had that amazing uh, Australian tour in 2008, actually 2016 uh, was probably, I would say, go down as one of my best innings in test cricket. It was the 141, I think it was, against uh, Australia at the same ground in Perth. Yes. And the, 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 the thing about that inning in itself was the fluency of it and, you know, 
it was just something that you look back and think, wow, how did I do that? <laughs> like I've watched, I've watched the highlights of it many times and I, and I look at it like, wow, did I actually have that ability? It was, it just looks so pleasing on the eye to watch. Uh, so that's, that's definitely one that stands out. And then the 2015 quarterfinal, um, you know, opportunity to take a hat trick in a, in a world cup, uh, yes. against Sri Lanka. And the significance about that, yes, it was the world cup, but also, the fact that we had not won a knockout game in a World Cup stage uh, up until that point, and that was quite a significant uh, advancement for us as a team, and the belief grew, particularly in that victory, and for me to play such a big part in it was, was really cool. JP Dumini, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege talking to you. Thank you very much indeed for your time, and uh, well, wishing you all the very best for whatever the future holds for you. Thanks, Dean. All the best to you as well. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. What a fantastic interview that was. Jean-Paul Dumini, JP Dumini, former South African batsman, having a wonderful one-on-one chat with me. It uh, was certainly one of the one of the better interviews, I can say. So, two things, I suppose. Uh, slight apology, you could probably hear a little bit of a tap-tap sound. That was uh, a bit of a... A loose connection, I suppose you could say, was JP's headset, something not quite sounding right there. And then uh, an apology on my behalf for saying that JP had hit the leg spinner Eddie Lee for six consecutive sixes. Sorry, Eddie, if you are listening to this podcast. But as I said, it was information that actually was readily available. So whoever wrote the stats there needs a bit of a talking to. But uh, anyway, nevertheless, it's... it's uh, it's not the end of the world as we know it. Thank you so much for listening indeed to the Dean at Stumps podcast. It's been a joy and a pleasure being with you. And uh, don't forget, you can tell your friends and family to subscribe. All they do is they go to their preferred podcast app, be it iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Downcast, Pocketcast. You search for Dean at Stumps, you subscribe, and you listen to a whole bunch of very, very good interviews indeed. Thank you for listening. And um, as I said, We'll be back again pretty soon next time. Until then, it's goodbye. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 